Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's edition of the One Million by One Million podcast. My guest today is Rajul Garg of Leo Capital from India. Rajul, welcome to the show. Shimana, thank you for having me and very excited to be here. Well, let's uh, introduce you to our audience. Tell us about your investing focus. How big is the fund? What size investments do you make? Let's get to know you. Sure. So, uh, as you mentioned, mine is an India-centric fund. So, I'm looking at early-stage tech opportunities in India. It's uh, it's an uptake from uh, my angel investment activities in India over the last five years. This is a $30 million fund, 3-0. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we invest typically in the half a million to a million dollars in an opportunity at a seed stage, you know, sometimes pre-series A, sometimes very early. Um, I think the common denominator in the investments is more tech-oriented, but it's a mm-hmm. sector-agnostic fund. So we uh, we can do pretty much anything uh, as long as uh, it has uh, potential to be venture scale and uh, enough tech leverage in it. So that's a little bit about us. And can you define you know, rather than the uh, labels of seed, pre-seed, Series A, etc., can you actually tell me what your definition um, of validation level is where you feel comfortable? Like, are you looking for customers? Are you looking for paying customers, revenue, repeatability? Where, what is your comfort zone? Sure. So... Sure. As you will know, I think it varies a lot across sectors and across opportunities. But let me let me give you a few examples. So there are uh, there are companies that we would invest in sometimes, which are purely at a concept level. Now it it happens, but I know that one of our investments happened like that, which is purely at a concept level. It's in the lending space, uh, and and in general in India. In lending space, uh, I think there is just a lot of demand these days, and you're looking for teams which have done it before and have a clear articulation of how they will segment it. It's a relatively simpler business in that sense, and you can enter at a at least we thought we could enter at a concept stage. In other cases, for example, if we're looking at consumer apps, uh, social gaming, or internet apps. Generally, we would look for some traction in terms of downloads and retention. Yep. So I think, for example, you know, if you have, let's say, 50,000 downloads onto your app and, uh, and good retention and good activity, I think we would sort of look at you seriously. But so it's kind of none of these are necessary or sufficient conditions, but I'm just giving you some ballpark uh, yep. in terms of uh, what, what would catch our attention at least. Uh, of course, if you're doing much more than that and sort of we believe in the concept or you're doing revenue and other things, obviously all that is an added bonus. Um, in enterprise space, for example, typically we would look for one or two beta relationships with customers. So you may not necessarily be making money, but we would mm-hmm. look for validation that customers are willing to at least adopt your solution conceptually, that they want this solution, this product, uh, and, yeah. and at least have a willingness to pay a certain amount of money for it. They may not have paid right. it to you today, but they have a willingness mm-hmm. to pay this kind of money to you. So those are some examples of how You want to be able to make business. reference calls to uh, enterprise customers or B2B customers and get some level of comfort that they are willing to pay at some, some point when the product is ready. 
I think establishment of a price point also is just a very important thing. For example, if you're selling yeah. to a large enterprise and you know you're selling yeah. really cheap, I mean, just to us, it speaks to us. It may not pay today, but if they value it really cheaply, then you're not strategic enough to them. And with long sales cycles, how do you build a large business on that? So I think if you sort of just also the sort of the, the 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 level of engagement with those customers yes sure but reference calls but what we're trying to check is that you know are you selling large to large kind of yeah. right i mean large enough to a large company so that you can build a large business on that yeah, yeah. okay and um, what after the geography um preference question with a specific um you know nuance in mind for example uh, you know, on the B2C side, then Indian investors are investing in mostly India-facing companies. Is that also your preference, or are you also doing global B2C? And then the counterpoint of that is when it comes to, let's say, SaaS, software as a service, we see Indian investors mostly interested in doing global-facing companies, not so much the India-facing company. There may be validation-level work in India, but they're the Indian VCs have decided that mostly when it comes to enterprise or B2B, they prefer the global-facing uh, SaaS models. So how do right. you fit into this so, framework? Pretty much guilty on both counts, I would say. I think, uh, <laughs> okay. you know, I think the domestic market in India is very large and, you know, you hear the macro uh, factors like smartphone penetration and internet and, you know, growing middle class and all that stuff, which makes it very attractive, at least conceptually, to uh, to, a, uh, to a consumer play and also very local. You know, it's easy to sort of, uh, not easy, but at least you can get into a local market and try out products at an early stage the way we are versus it's very difficult sitting in Bangalore to do a play uh, for Western Europe or for U.S. Uh, in the consumer market. But I think global SaaS, as you mentioned again, I think Indian market tends to be tiny. And I think it's very hard. There are really no examples or uh, very few examples of companies which have achieved any scale just in India. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think uh, most investors gravitate towards plays uh, which are more global. I think there's another reason for it as well uh, that the Indian IT services industry is fairly mature uh, over the last 30 years, and there are plenty of people, you know, there who have sold to global companies, uh, global enterprises, right? People from Infosys and Wipro's and TCS's of the world. So it's not something which is alien to sort of uh, us as Indian entrepreneurs to be able to sell to global enterprises. So I think it makes it a little bit easier also to find people and, you know, naturally people come up with those kind of ideas. Yeah, okay. So talk about what trends you see in your deal flow. Let's look at like the, you know, year 2017. How many deals have you seen? What are the highlights in terms of trend lines in that deal flow? So I think... um, Hmm. So I think, uh, look, last one or two years, almost every sort of presentation uh, or every deck that I see of any substance tends to have, obviously, AI and machine learning and kind of all kinds of things on it. It may not necessarily have AI inside, but it definitely has AI on the label uh, and all that. No, but I think, uh, look, uh, I... If you go back three years, right, let's say 14, 15 was in India, particularly was year of consumer investing going crazy completely, right? I mean, there was like a huge amount of investment that happened in India. 
particularly in consumer markets. I think 16, 17, I don't think there is a clear sectoral scene like that, uh, and it's become a little bit more bottom-up. But still, I think some of the things which everyone sees, and we see a lot as well, I think logistics as a sector, uh, yeah. we see a lot of interest and in a lot of players, large, you know, large sector, $200 billion market in India, 13% of GDP. Yeah. You know, so we see a lot of uh, players trying to do, and there have been a couple of big successes, Revigo and Blackbuck uh, locally, mm-hmm. but again, very fragmented market, very large. So I see a place, I think FinTech, which, you know, you could argue how much, you, you could argue that it's more fin than tech, but again, very large market because lending is, I mean, India is under lent too. Uh, historically, and uh, you know, need for credit obviously is very large, both in consumers and in enterprises. Uh, mm-hmm. And we see that as a very large sector. I mean, this is truly one where you could have also like 15, 20 very large companies built uh, over yeah. the next five, ten years, and not just one or two. It's not even a winner-take-all market uh, in a lot of different ways. It's like a service market, and you just run an efficient ship. You know, get into a region or sort of slice it vertically, horizontally, regionally. And build a build a business, uh, you know, some more execution driven. So lending definitely, I think, um, see a lot of stuff. Global SaaS, uh, for sure. Again, as consumer sort of fell out of vogue a little bit, I think a lot more play on uh, on global SaaS last couple of years. So I think those would be top three. I would say that we see uh, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, if you ask me for seventeen particularly, I mean, a large chunk of opportunities would be in those three. But then there's a of all kinds of different things. I mean, among the investments that we've done, we've done one ed tech, we've done one health tech, uh, one global SaaS. You know, so I mean, there's also sort of all sorts of other bottom-up ideas that keep coming up, which are hard to classify. But I think those would be my yeah. top three. Yeah. And you are comfortable investing in all of those trend areas? You know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you're totally comfortable, but yeah, we do invest in all those areas. I think uh, business is a sector agnostic fund, uh, you know, so we are pretty much open to investing in all of those areas. Uh, but we take a very bottom-up approach and look at it deeply once it's presented to us. And yes, we, we would invest in all those areas. Okay. Talk about your current portfolio. What have you invested in? What, uh, what are the highlights? What, what would you like to of the portfolio that's interesting and as sure. you're describing them give us some insights into you know when they came to you and what did you see that that really in you know captured your imagination sure sure so we uh, as a fund we only became a fund actually late last year uh, and started investing so we made four investments so far from the fund and you know I can talk about a couple from that um, so, so one of our investments is a company called Flickstock, uh, mm-hmm. flickstock.com. And what Flickstock does is that um, let's say you are a let's say you're a fashion commerce company in the in the U.S. Uh, or Western Europe, and yeah. uh, then it's been sort of proven that if you put up images which are modeled images versus just the product images, your sale conversion is higher. So, for example, if you're selling a shirt you're better off putting a model wearing a shirt versus just the image of the shirt. Okay. However, however, the cost of getting a modeled image is fairly high because, you know, you hire a studio, you hire a model, you know, right. you do video editing. So for smaller commerce players, it can be as much as $40, $50 an image. 
versus, um, you know, even for very large ones, it's 4 to $5 an image. So what this company does, uh, Flickstock, is that it generates these images automatically, in this case, truly through AI. You know, so what they do is that they, you know, you can sort of, as a fashion commerce company, you can send them your product images, like images of your shirts and sort of linen or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. they have their own model database and they would automatically generate, combine the two and generate mm-hmm. images for you and send them to you at a fraction of the cost. So I think I that's sort of, uh, it's a global SaaS play. Um, you know, we, uh, I've known the company actually for the last couple of years, uh, you know, just at least the founder and have always been intrigued. Uh, and uh, when we came in, uh, the company, uh, so we committed to them actually in uh, September, October last year as a fund and closed it uh, end of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. So they were already post-revenue I and mean, they were doing, uh, I think, uh, like almost half a million dollars of ARR, annual recurring revenue mm-hmm. as a SaaS player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and they were, um, they had good validations in terms of two or three customers. Uh, yeah. so they had a couple of customers in the U.S., they had one customer in Germany. Uh, and for example, I mean, this would be important to us. Now, this is a play which does not have a large enough market in India. And mm-hmm. uh, in this case, what attracted us was that, you know, they've been able to sell to the U.S. market, service at least one or two large customers, get this going. And that's what made it very attractive to us. So if this yeah. company, for example, had not done this much, had signed up one or two, let's say, smaller customers in India, it would be very hard to get in because the Indian market is small. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the go-to market risks are very high. Uh, I mean, how do you really know if a company will be able to sell uh, to these markets yeah. unless sort of there's some validation? So this is one example yeah. that I can give Good. you. Yeah. Good. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the trends that we are seeing in Silicon Valley, and I'd like to hear you reflect on the Indian counterpart of that trend. So first one is um, how do you process the current investment climate where capital is moving further and further upstream? How does a seed investor mitigate the Series A gap? Are you seeing a Series A gap in India? So I think a Series A gap in India is not new. It has always existed. So I think we're seeing this trend in the Silicon Valley newly emerge over the last couple of years, I would say. Uh, No, more than that. More than that. It's growing. It's growing. growing. Because we have a lot of seed capital that has come into the system in about three three to five years. Right now there are 700 seed funds and there are, you know, the a much smaller number of Series A funds and a lot of the venture funds have gone later stage. So, so that's that has accentuated and aggravated the Series A gap problem. But it has been there for a while now. Sure. So, no, I agree with you. But I think in India, the Series A gap or the deficiency has always existed. I think it's never been a market flush, flush with funds. So I, I think except for if, you, if I did just take an exception of 14, 15, where everybody mm-hmm. went crazy, like I said, and I think there was just a lot of money falling off, falling off the attic. But I think before that and after that, capital in India has always been conservative, and uh, you know, it's, it, there's never been plenty of it. That you know, I've never seen a situation where there's a shootout for uh, getting into an opportunity or sort of clamoring of sorts to getting into an opportunity. The way you know, I've seen in a few cases, at least in the Bay Area, and I've heard a lot many of those cases happen. Um, yeah. So I think the Indian entrepreneur generally 
is more sort of knows this going in that capital is not going to be easy. Uh, you know, whether it's at C stage or Series A or even Series B, uh, you know, I mean, India has a handful of Series A investors in tech. I would say, you know, really, I would say 10 funds who are doing, I would say, 90% of the investments, uh, maybe four funds doing 60, 70% of the investments, 50% of the investments, something like that. So I yeah. think it's, a, it's always been a very concentrated market from a Series A tech perspective. Uh, and I think entrepreneurs have learned to uh, live with that. But I think seed, uh, of course, has grown in India. Uh, again, these are all relative numbers. So while there were, let's say, two or three super active funds three years back on the seed level, now they're six or seven. So I think yeah. the numbers are still small if you add them all up. Uh, you know, so I, I think, but still the supply-demand equation in India is still horribly skewed in the favor of investors. So, uh, and entrepreneurs are sort of, have learned historically to deal with that and they're sort of, you know, in fact, they see more people to go to today uh, in that sense. You know, so it's a little bit different from Bay Area. Yeah. Have you seen any um, analysis or reporting on how many active entrepreneurs are there in the ecosystem in India right now? Uh, so I do remember seeing that at some point of time. I, I'm not able to sort of recall uh, the report, uh, but I can tell you, like I, I was at a Let's Venture event uh, recently uh, and sort of some of the reports that I see. I think if you look at 2017, then my guess is around 1,000 companies raised some, some, some sort of investment in India. Uh, you know, so it could be angel, super angel, uh, sort of uh, sort of investment and give or take a few. Um, so I think that's kind of the number, the new companies that got angel or super angel funded in 2017. And my guess is that only one out of 20 or 30 would get there. You know, so, um, so my guess would be that it will be in the tens of thousands uh, active. Mm-hmm. And of course, some will die and some will keep, you know, new will keep coming up. So my guess will be a, a number of that order. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, and by the way, as you know very well from my work, I'm a big proponent of bootstrapping, and we do see a lot of companies that are, especially Indian companies, that are doing very well in getting very far with the bootstrapping uh, strategy and, and showing lots of validation before going out to raise funding. And funding becomes so much easier at that point. I mean, honestly, funding and venture funding is very alien historically to to Indians, right? I mean, Absolutely. it's a it's a completely. I mean, I get I get requests where sort of the entrepreneurs can't even believe that people get funded that kind of money and sort of and why they are not getting funded while they have a much better business and this and that. So I mean, it's a it's definitely a fraction of the market in that sense. If you take the wider, obviously, if you take small merchants and shopkeepers, then of course, you know, that is a number which is in millions. Uh, but, right, but that's, the yes, right. yes, but even in within the tech startup ecosystem, what uh, you know, part of it is because that we do follow that methodology of bootstrap first, raise money later, because you know the, our our take is you have to survive to succeed, and and if you leave your survival in the hands of investors, the probability of your survival goes down. So, you know. Since we are all kind of mathematically inclined people, we tend to want to ma- maximize the probability of success. So um, that's where I think there is, uh, especially in India, because of the cost structure and because of the general 
ability to be frugal in entrepreneurs, it's, it's a good trend that there are a lot of companies that are bootstrapping to a significant level. And, and I have a company right now that is out for finance has has already crossed a million uh, in 2017 revenue and this is now they're raising their first financing and they're getting incredible traction in silicon valley so uh, can you please can you please introduce this company to me but <laughs> i think i think, <laughs> yes, I, I think in general you're right uh, i think in general you're right probably compared to the beta uh, but and there'll be some examples like browser stack for example is an example which is cited in india zoho historically uh, browser yeah. stack bootstrapped their way to 50 million and almost like a billion in value uh, just yeah. purely organically and, and so obviously never raised any money so there's certainly examples I, I have to say I don't know if it's a trend and there's lots of them I mean you probably see many more of them because of your focus on that specific area uh, but I, I don't see that many I mean I, I still see sort of I see a few but not as much as you would think uh, you but know, you know the, the truth say. is uh, when when I took uh, Freshdesk out for their first round of financing back in 2011. When Girish came to me, he they had product already, but I kind of made them spend, I think, four or five months to go through the validation process and get to paying customer before going and raising that first round of funding. And the first round was already a million-dollar Series A from Axel. So that, you know, it was immensely valuable to have a paying you know a set of paying customers and an understanding of how to acquire those paying customers to get that see, funding see i think in the enterprise space i think you're absolutely right i think in enterprise space it's hard to imagine a vc coming into a company with no, nothing right with no paying customers no validation at all i think you know or at least i think in the consumer market it ain't gonna happen these days to... i just tell people flat out that there is absolutely no chance unless you have some personal relationship with somebody who knows you and is willing to write a check for you there is no chance anybody is going to write a check on just a concept i, I agree i think in the b2b stage i i i 100 agree with you i think the consumer markets because revenue is usually comes in much later and it's hard to bootstrap your way in a consumer market. So I think that might be sort of a distinction there. Yeah, yeah consumer market, people still want to see traction. You, people want to see growth. People want to see lots of users and getting to lots of users with no funding is not an easy thing to do either. Correct, but I think getting revenue or real revenues is still harder. So I think, you know. <laughs> Very hard. Very hard. Oh, my God. You know, I, I, one statistic that I recently encountered which really blew me away, which I've been covering Facebook for 10 years at least, and, and I've never seen a number on how much Facebook makes in India until just a few months ago. And, it's and shocking. The I, is, I know the number, and it's, it's shockingly shocking. low. <laughs> oh, my God. It's fifty million dollars, and with all of India glued to Facebook and WhatsApp, and they make fifty million dollars in revenue. It's really, you know, painfully <laughs> so shocking. Let me let me make you feel a little bit better, no, not a whole lot better. So what Facebook does and Google do in India is that a lot of their billing actually gets directly sort of uh, paid into Ireland, you know, for tax reasons and all that. Um, you know, so actually not all of it gets counted in that fifty million dollar number. The true number is more like. 200 million, I would say. So it's not 50, but it's not a billion. Still, 200 million, you could argue, is still small. But I think most you, you have most people are actual validation yeah. on that. Uh, I do. You know, I don't think this number gets published, right? But I, I know, you know, it's in that range. 
I'm pretty certain. I I'll have to take out. I don't because you know you can't sort of you can't count the revenue which you know you pay through credit card into the Irish Facebook Ireland, right? But most people do that. Historically, that's the only way they were doing business. I think now they've started doing other things. So I think that's okay. that's the anomaly. <laughs> but still, like 240, 250 million users translating into 200 million dollar in revenue for a company that has the maximum. Uh, personalization capability, targeting capability, I'm talking about ad revenues, is very discouraging for other people who are trying to do ad revenue-based businesses, which has become really, really difficult to scale. I mean, it's just like, I mean, any, you could just do the math from there on. So content businesses pretty much, but they are, they are getting funded, right? I mean, you, you see new companies like Clip, you know, which is a video, the next billion theme or the next billion theme. And then there is share chat in India which have gone funded, I, I think, um, just because they're probably seeing a lot of user traction, but I think revenue is far, far away of any significance, yeah. obviously. I think yeah. that is, those are going to be very difficult to scale. Uh, yeah. And what uh, do you make of unicorn mania? I, you know, I was hoping <laughs> that okay, Silicon Valley is going crazy. India tends to be more conservative, but then India went crazy too. So <laughs> how do you parse unicorn mania? You know, we all we all plug in into the same mothership. You know, so there's like not not much that you can do to do to deviate from that that much. Uh, I think people have moderated. Uh, you know, let me rephrase that. I think smaller funds like mine, right? I, like let's say Bloom, uh, my fund Leo, or sort of other seed funds in India. My guess is that I think we define a unicorn in our own head as a company which can reach like a thousand crore, about 150 million to 200 million dollar in value. Uh, and I think, uh, but we really need that kind of scale at least for it to move the needle for our fund, you know. And uh, it's very, very hard to enter an opportunity knowing that it will be a nice 20 million dollar profitable business. You know, either, either I think, I think, I think maybe we need funds like that who are more P in their sort of DNA uh, and are looking for 25% IRR, uh, you know, and no mortality in their portfolio. But I think early stage venture type funds, unfortunately, it's not the asset class that can cater to your know, small and beautiful business. Uh, I, I do think that's a real gap. And sort of as an angel, I have made investments in those businesses and I've done very well for myself. But as a fund, I, I can sort of, I just don't see how a fund can invest in those kind of businesses. So that is, I think, a gap which uh, somehow the ecosystem has to fill. But it's not, venture is just not set up right to cater to that, unfortunately. So there are small funds, actually, um, you know, very small funds, micro VCs and accelerator type of funds that are actually focusing on these small niche businesses that are, designed for acquisitions, essentially. And part of what's going on, you may have read my recent article, SaaS companies have an unprecedented opportunity, uh, where I articulate, like, there are a lot of SaaS companies that have reached critical mass, 50, 100 million, 200 million, some 500, 600 million. And these companies are looking to acquire, and they are very happy to acquire these small niches to fill the gaps in their product portfolio. Um, and, and, and this is, you know, unusually large number of acquirers available, especially in SaaS right now, for these kinds of niche uh, opportunities. And, and I think, you know, instead of bloating them up with huge amounts of funding, if they can be done as a capital efficient 
small business with a small number of customers where the product market fit is identified, and then you sell to one of these larger SaaS players to access the channel. You don't invest in building the channel. I think this is an excellent investment opportunity. I, I agree with you. I think uh, I think in India particularly we need more validation in terms of these acquisitions picking up velocity. Uh, yes. I do think yes. if, if yes. we start seeing Absolutely. that, then I think everybody will get excited and you will see a lot more investments. So yeah. I think 2017 was, by the way, I think by far the best year in terms of exits. Uh, I think we had a bunch of IPOs and we had a bunch of exits. Uh, acquisitions and all that, but still in absolute terms, it's relatively small. We yeah. need, we still need, I think maybe we need to create these linkages with the Bay Area and other markets to be able to just increase more deal flow and deal volume uh, in yeah. SaaS. And I think if we, if we did that, I, I you know, agree with you 100%. My recommendation to you and to, to all the investors who are on the ground in India, especially the smaller investors, smaller funds or angel investors, is, is look for the connections into the SaaS ecosystem of, uh, you know, companies that are, that have critical mass and and invest in companies that can be acquired by those at you know in small uh, acquisitions and create a lot of these deals. I think a lot of transactions, a lot of transactions happening in India right now will do enormously, um, you know, add enormously to the growth and and health of the ecosystem. I think that makes a lot of sense. Perhaps the way to do it is to sort of just maybe engage with people in the Bay Area and sort of maybe these are bankers and other sort of people who are in the know. Otherwise, it's hard. You know, like for a fund like mine, it's a small fund. And, uh, yeah. you know, how do you how do you do that? So I think we need a way, some sort of interface. Uh, yeah. Maybe larger companies like Lightspeed can do it because, you know, they have a presence here and their presence in India and their presence in the Bay Area. But uh, you're right. I, I do agree with you conceptually. I think it's something that, should be done, but I, yeah. I would like to figure out how we can do it. But I agree. Yeah, with I'm, yeah. I'm working on that as well. So we'll, you know, we can offline uh, figure out how to uh, collaborate on some of that. So we'll we'll no. figure it out. Please do, please do. So um, any other uh, parting thoughts? I think this is a great conversation. I think it's uh, it's helpful for the entrepreneurs to. I always point entrepreneurs to you know, listen to and understand the investor's thought process before going and talking to somebody. So we try to, you know, introduce them to the investors through these uh, forums. Is there anything else that you want to convey to the community? You know, I think the only other thing I'd like to say is that I think India is really buzzing. You know, uh, there is a lot of entrepreneurial activity. Uh, you know, I, I get probably like four or five investment approaches every day, just organically mm -hmm. through my LinkedIn and email and website yeah. and this and that. So there's a lot of activity, I think. Uh, and I think it is finally, slowly but surely, the wheel is turning and I think the scale is uh, approaching. And I, I, I actually, I've been in India the last 20 years and I've never been more excited about the Indian entrepreneurial activity, uh, you know, more than I am right now. So it's a great time to be in India, and I, I think I would certainly encourage entrepreneurs to sort of keep the faith and keep going. It's, it's a great time, I feel, and it should only get better next five or ten years. Yeah, and, and our roundtables are full of Indian entrepreneurs on a <laughs> weekly basis. Every week we see tons and tons and tons of Indian entrepreneurs. So great. Well, very nice uh, speaking with you, um, Rajul, and, and audience. Very uh, nice to have you today. 
Uh, please stay tuned and come back uh, for more of these podcasts and also stop by at the mentoring sessions, the weekly mentoring sessions with your projects and we'll work together. These are working sessions, as you know. Um, come to uh, the free public roundtables, present your problems and we'll try to do what we can to remove your roadblocks. Speak soon and uh, come again. Thank you very much.